You're listening to a message from Impact Student Ministry, a middle and high school oriented production of the Summit Church. How's everybody doing? Hey, good to see you. I'm going to be here. Is that okay? You want to make room? Yeah, thanks. Good. Good to see you. Yeah, that, that's important. We just need to leave that there. All right. Hey, everybody um, good? All right. I'm Randy. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. It's good to see you. Man, that's a, good, a lot of you people here tonight. This is awesome. Um, Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> he needs it. Sermon by Sierra. Isn't it good? I, I, yeah, I'm with you. So we're, we're, we're here. I am uh, pretty excited to be here. We've got a couple things we're going to talk about tonight. So um, let me tell you a little something about me. How about that? We'll start there. All right? I love to make bread. I know that was on your list of stuff that you're like, you're like right now, you're like, you know, that guy probably likes to make bread. I know that was probably the top thing on your list. But for those of you who didn't know, now you're surprised. Um, and this is, uh, that's one of them. Now, let me tell you how it began. It didn't begin this way. It began a little bit worse. I remember years ago, I decided, hey, I want to try to figure out how to make yeast rolls. So I remember one, I think it was like a Saturday or a day off work or something like that. So I decided I was going to make some yeast rolls. Um, And if you've never done that, that's an interesting thing. So I made the first batch, pulled them out of the oven. And they could have been baseballs or rocks. Could have been either one. You couldn't really tell the difference, just to be honest. So what happened is I took those yeast rolls and I walked over to the trash can and I dumped them down in my little rolls. You can look down at the little trash can, little sad rolls staring back up at you all by themselves. So I said, okay, I'm going to make another batch. So I tried again. I was like, right then. And by the way, if you, if you make yeast rolls, this isn't like a 20-minute thing. This is like hours. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make them again. So I tried again and I pulled out the second batch. Baseballs and bricks. Yeah, it was worse. And so went over to the trash can, and guess what happened? There they go, little rolls, little rolls. They got company, but they was all alone, sitting down in a little trash can looking up at you. Nobody wanted them. But I kept working at it, kept working at it. And so this is some French bread. I love it. That right there is me and my son Cash. We like to make that. That is called honey wheat bread, and it is so much fun to make. Now, let me tell you, my little girl, Dixie, she loves banana bread. How many banana bread friends? All right. Hey. All right. All right. How many of you are fans of the Starbucks banana bread? You're a fan of that? Okay. It's good. So let me give you some tips on banana bread. You ready? Because after tonight, you're going to want to go home and make some or try to talk somebody who won't burn the house down into making you some. Either way. Either way works. So let me give you a couple tips. You ready? Your bananas have got to be ripe. Ripe. Now, now look, what I mean by ripe, here, here it is. Let me, let me put it this way. You walk by the banana stand, uh, you, or like this is in my house, or you've got a little basket or a bowl, and you eat the banana, and you go, mm, that's pretty good. The next day you come by and you grab another one, and you go, well, that's a little bit ripe. And by day three, if you're, not, if you're like, I'm not going to eat those bananas. They're too much. If, if they're there... Just leave them alone for about three or four more days. And when you come back, they're, they're no longer yellow. Okay, they're no longer yellow. They're, they're, that's gone. Yellow is gone. And now they're ready to be used for banana bread. 
first tip, okay? <clears throat> My little girl, Dixie, she walked by the, this, one of these. It, it was a couple of months back. She walked by that, and she looked at him, and I've already taught her about it. And she said, hey, Dad, the bananas look ready. Can you make some banana bread? And I said, yeah, we can make some banana bread. I said, you go to bed. I'll make banana bread. You get up in the morning. You can have banana bread for breakfast, and it's going to be great. When I put her to bed that night and said sweet dreams, I literally meant it because it was the house was going to smell like banana bread, and it was going to be good. Let me give you a couple tips. First of all, really ripe bananas. What color should they be? There we go. Not yellow. Whatever that is, not yellow. So they shouldn't be that. All right, and the next tip is this. Melted butter poured into the batter. Now, look, I, listen, I know, look, January, we, we're going to be healthy. It's almost February. You know we ditch all that stuff on Valentine's Day anyway, right? So it's just two weeks away. So go ahead. You can Super Bowl. This is, I didn't even know what was going on. This is a surprise to me. So we got the Super Bowl this weekend. You're going to blow it anyway, so go ahead and put some butter in the batter. The other thing, if you're healthy, uh, yogurt is really good in your batter. So that's, you're writing this down, right? All right, and then the last thing that's very, very important is, is pecans or walnuts, some type of nut, okay? And, and before you put them in the batter, you got to put them in the oven. You got to toast them a little bit because something happens when you toast pecans or uh, walnuts. Something, it's, like, it's, like a, it's like a caterpillar going into a cocoon and coming out of a butterfly. It's, something changes, and it's incredible. So you need to put those in there. So I made the banana bread, and the next morning I called, and I talked to Nikki. I said, hey, did, did y'all have banana bread for breakfast? And she said, yeah, yeah. I said, okay. She goes, you know, it, it, it wasn't that sweet. And as soon as she said it, it hit me. I never got the sugar out of the cabinet to make. I could see my, all the ingredients on the counter, and I, could, I didn't get the sugar. I, since we're talking about key ingredients for banana bread, sugar is one of those. So go ahead and write that one down. You need to have sugar in it. So, so here's what I did. I saved the little bananas from hanging on the little stand all by themselves only to bake them into a piece of bread that would sit there by itself and nobody would ever touch it because it wasn't even sweet. So Jesus got himself in one of these situations with some bread. Jesus is pretty famous for messing with people's food for some reason. Water to wine. He'd take some kids' lunch and feed thousands of people. This, Jesus had this notorious thing. But one day he did this deal where he fed a bunch of people with some bread. He goes to the next city. They all followed him to show up to see if they could get another free meal. Now, before we knock them, let's just hold tight for just a second. We're talking about first century Middle Eastern people where the temple, their religious system, and their government taxed them 80 to 90%. So they were absolutely, truly poor. You and I don't have a clue what that even means. So a free meal for them was radical. And so they followed Jesus down. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And so Jesus had his 12 close disciples. He had other disciples that had just gathered around him. And then now this throng of people. And he begins to teach them. And it didn't go well. It was like a bad sermon that Jesus put on. First thing he told them, he said, look, I'm, I'm the you guys like bread? I'm the bread of life that come down from heaven. And they go, what? I don't know about that. But that didn't really get him. This is what really got him when he said this. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And, and when he said that, it was like, okay. It was so 
bad that everybody left. All of these disciples that he had, they leave. All of the followers, they leave. And here stands Jesus, just like my little rolls in the bottom of a trash can. My little banana bread with no sugar in it, sugar-free banana bread. Jesus is standing there all alone. Here's what I think is interesting that he said. He's got the 12 disciples, people that he picked. He looks at them. Everybody else is gone. And he asks them a very important question. Here's what he said. Do you want to leave too? Wait a minute. Why would he care? Why would he care? He looks at him and says, do you want to leave? Are, are, are you going to leave me too? Which, which leads me to a question I want to ask you. Have you ever been alone? I'm not talking about like a, in a room by yourself. I'm talking about sitting in a room full of people and feeling like you were the only person on the planet and nobody knew you existed. That kind of alone. Have you ever felt so abandoned you didn't know what to do? Have you ever felt like your world just fell out from underneath of you? Have you ever been like Jesus, looking at what few friends you got left and saying, hey, are you going to bail on me too? So tonight, I want to talk about being alone. I want to talk about lonely. Now, let me tell you what happened to me. Summer of 03 was the most alone, lonely time I had ever experienced in all of my life. Now, let me tell you a little something about me. I'm not a person who doesn't have people in their life. I don't, it's just one of those things. So you're going to say, how are you going to talk about alone and you don't ever by yourself? I get that. And I'm just going to try to do the best I can. But here's what I want you to see. It's rare. In fact, I feel so bad because there are so many people in my life that I wish I could spend more time with that I don't. I'm one of those people that just, it just doesn't happen. But in the summer of 03, I felt completely alone. I don't think I'd ever felt more abandoned in my life, which backs me up to graduation, 1996, graduated from high school, the same year that one headlight come out. Graduated from high school, and I go off to Bible college. My intent to go to Bible college was this. When I was 15, I had this enormous experience with God, and I wanted to go there. I wanted to learn everything I could about the religion that I grew up in because I wanted to share it with everybody that I possibly could. So I leave and go off to Bible college. That's what, that's what I did. I took the first job out of, out of college. I go move states away, and, I, and I'm working at a church, and I'm working with, uh, I'm working with students, and I'm doing, doing lots of other things. I'm teaching. I'm writing sermons. I'm having the time of my life. First year in, something didn't add up. Second year I wanted to leave. Third year. Third year, I began to expand and reach out to people that were, that were a part of this religion that I was a part of. And leaders around the area, states away, I began to speak in different places. I began to talk to many people. And what I found out after year three is I don't want anything to do with this. Because these people aren't in it for the same reason I'm in it. Some of them, it was power. Some of them, it was ego. And, and a lot of them was money. 
I remember one, I remember one big guy, I was fancy pants guy, that I remember sitting in his office, and, and, I, was, and I was looking, and, and he had a map stuck on the side of his, on the side of his desk, or up on the wall beside of his desk, and I, and I thought, okay. And he's got these little push pins all over it, and I'm like, okay, all right. Maybe, maybe this guy is in it for me, the way the same thing I am. Maybe he just wants to help people. He's got little pins, and man, maybe that's his goal. Maybe, maybe the religion that I grew up in isn't busted. And so as we talked, I was there with someone else. He pointed to the map. And what I found out is the little push pins was clusters of where people were that he was trying to get because they had money. And I thought, this is a waste. So what do you do? I've already, I've already, hey, I've in, I'm college, I've invested my life. This is, I'm going to, I'm six, seven, eight, ten years into this thing. What am I going to do? So I said, okay, I got an idea. I'm going to quit, go back to college. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a seminary degree in theology, and I'm going to go start one of these, a church the way it should be started. And I walked out and left. I remember when I left and was driving back, driving back to the college, uh, there were people calling and saying, hey, hey, there's a position, there's a position. I said, you don't understand. I'm not in this thing for no position. I finally get down there. The college president found out that I'd moved back to town, wanted to meet with me. I went and sat down with him. We had a conversation back and forth, and he says to me, he says, I want to hire you. I said, okay, but here's what I want to do with my life. And so the, it was set. I was going to work for the college. I was going to go to seminary, and I was going to go start a church. It was the beginning of summer. At the end of summer, nothing had happened. I get a call from some people who work for him and said, hey, uh, there's this ministry we want to send you to, and we're going we're gonna to recommend you. And we're, we're, we're gonna, we're, the president of the college is going to put his name behind you. And I thought, the whole thing has failed me. I'm not in it for this. I'm in it for the people, not the positions and the titles and the recommendations. And it, and it, just, it just fell out from under me. And because here's the thing, I had taken God and I had mixed God with the religion that I grew up in and I made this very toxic little cocktail. And it was dangerous. And when I got that call, I remember riding, I was going, I started getting jobs anywhere I could. I was driving between two states and I remember driving back across on the interstate. And I remember telling God, God, if this is you, if this is what you're about, if this is your stuff, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with your Bible. I don't want anything to do with you. Me yelling at God. I felt alone. Now here is the irony of it all. All of, this, all of the stories in the Hebrew scriptures about God, that was never happening. It never happened. There was no yelling back at God. In fact, Moses would write this about God. And I want you to notice a little bit of a nuance. Check it out. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? And, and here's the thing. We read these things. We're like, yeah, who is like us? But here's what, we don't, here's what we miss. There was like this recognition that there was a bunch of other gods. And they thought there were a bunch of other gods. And they found the one God that was above all the other gods. And for us, that seems weird. They looked at the gods everywhere. And, and, and part of it was this. You're dealing in an ancient culture where people were just trying to stay alive from one year to the next. The biggest thing they worried about was if they were going to have food. That's what they were so consumed with. And so they would grow their crops. They would have food. And it would be a great year. And then they would think, well, 
The next year, the sun was too bright and we didn't have enough rain and the crops didn't grow. So maybe the sun is a God and maybe the rain is a God. Maybe the river is a God. Maybe the insects that come in and destroyed our crops a couple years ago, maybe they're a God. So they begin to think, well, let's try to keep the gods happy because if we can keep the gods happy and keep the gods on our side, then maybe we'll be okay, which is really different than me screaming at God saying, I'm done with you. They were trying to make sure they'd pleased everything about him. And then finally, some tribes said, hey, we had the most horrible season, but we figured out what to do. We were giving crops back to God. We were giving animals back to God. So we had a really bad year. So I took my firstborn child and I took him out in the field and I, and I murdered my son. And, and, and the gods the next year made our crops great. So we got rid of, we, we had to lose one of our children, but the gods looked after us. And then the tribes after tribes after tribes begin to hear this. And this become the norm. That you would offer your kids up and sacrifice to please the gods. And it made it into the Bible. A guy named Abraham has one kid, Isaac. He gets him. He says, we're going to go up into the mountain. We're going to worship. Tells his wife what he's about to do. His wife knows what's going to happen. She's seen this play out. All the other tribes in the area, they knew what was going to happen. He gets his servants. They travel up to the top of the mountain. They expected Abraham to come back down that mountain without his son, Because he was going to offer it to the God of the gods that he had found. Because that's what you did to please the gods. And then Abraham comes down with Isaac. And the servants are shocked. His wife is shocked. The tribes around him are shocked. You're going to make the gods mad. He says, you don't understand. Abraham again, you don't understand. This God that I found that's above all the other gods. Let me tell you what happened with him. He didn't want anything from me. In fact, he had a sacrifice for me and it wasn't my kid. The God that I serve doesn't ask of me. The God that I serve gives to me. And it was a huge change in the minds of people. And Abraham and Isaac became a legend. Every month, every year, every birthday, every every time. they Tell the story again, Abraham. What happened? Why didn't we lose Isaac? And so when Isaac had two kids, Jacob and Esau, there was no chance. He didn't even think about it. I'm going to keep both my kids because we found a God that doesn't want from us. And then Jacob. Jacob discovered something that was probably the most profound thing yet. Jacob had lied to his family. He cheated his dad. He stole from his family. Lied to his brother. Jacob was just almost what you would call worthless. In fact, he, he, he created such havoc that he had to hurry up and leave and get out of town and leave his family, leave his mother, leave his father, leave his brother, and had to quickly get out of town because it was going to cost him his life. And so Jacob leaves. He spends the night sleeping on a rock out in the middle of nowhere. He has this weird dream of a ladder, and he has this weird dream of wrestling with somebody. And and he wakes up the next morning. He wakes up the next morning, and and this is what he said. And, and, And this is something that's easy for us to kind of blow through, but I want you to listen to what he said. Here's what he said. Check it out. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. That's a huge change for the gods because the gods were all up there. The gods were away from us. The gods weren't here. As Sierra was saying in this place, the gods, weren't, the gods weren't here. They were somewhere else. Jacob wakes up the next morning and he says, hey, wait a minute. God was here and I didn't even realize it. 
Last night when I was alone, last night when I was terrified, last night when I felt completely abandoned by my own family, laying on a rock, not sure what was going to happen next. In that moment, God was there, and I didn't realize it. When Matthew would try to write the stories of Jesus, he would reach back into this rich history of of the Hebrew people and he would grab a hold of this idea that God is not a God that's somewhere else. God is a God that is here and is with us. And when he would try to describe him, he would use this and and he borrowed it from one of the prophets, Isaiah. Look at what he said. He said, the virgin will conceive a child and she shall bring forth a son and we'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Matthew was trying to get us to understand something that his ancient people didn't get and we in the modern world have missed. God isn't there. God isn't somewhere else. God is here. And me screaming at God and saying, I'm done with you. It's like, what are you doing? I'm right here. So, Guess what happened when Jesus said, are you going to leave me too? Peter goes, he speaks up for the 12. He says, where, where, where would we go? Where would we go? If Jesus is God with us, where would we go? Because he is here. He is with us. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to leave us because God, you, you. You, you have been the goal the whole time. You have been the goal the whole time. God's goal has always been to be with you. That's it. Not exist in some distant, distant area. And if you do enough good stuff, then maybe he'll like you. No, no, no. God's goal has always been to be with you. So how do we answer being alone? What's the answer for that? I'm sorry, I don't have one. In fact, I think if we come up with some cheesy little cliched answer, it's just going to be a waste. I don't think that's the place here. I don't think the answer... Here, let me give it to you this way. Why was the banana bread not sweet? We didn't put sugar in it. Yeah, but that's not fixing the problem. So guess what we did on Saturday morning after I made the horrible banana bread? Sliced it up. I took some eggs cracked them in a bowl, put some vanilla flavoring, put some sugar, I put some cinnamon, I put some nutmeg, I put a little bit of milk, I whisked it up really, 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 really good, and then I took, I got a hot griddle, and I took those slices of that sugar-free banana bread, and I put it inside of there, and we had French toast banana bread for breakfast, and let me tell you something, everybody loved it, because here's the deal, here's the deal, the presence of something else sometimes is a whole lot better than an answer, The presence of someone else sometimes is a whole lot better than having the answers. I know we want the answers, but sometimes just presence makes a difference. What if, what if words should be like Jacob? What if it's like Jacob? What if the moment that you're desperately alone, abandoned, and you feel like your world is gone, what if in that moment it doesn't go away, but there's also God with you then why can't it be both why can't it be both so 
I read this quote a couple weeks back. It's one of my favorites. And when you read it, you're going to think it's weird, but listen. Check it out. Meister Eckhart said this. He was a 13th century mystic. Here's what he said. He said, we are all called to be mothers of God, for God is always waiting to be born. We are all called to let that God with us come to life. We're all called. So what about me? What about me? Well, a couple, couple weeks ago, I was riding down the interstate again. I wasn't going to another state. Let me go down the interstate. I was with my son, Cash, one of my favorite people on the whole planet. It was cold, which I can't stand, but the, the sky was blue, and the sun was gleaming. I mean, it was a bright day. It was awesome, and I love when the sun's out. Cash has recently discovered Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, if you don't know Bob Dylan, you should. So he made us a playlist. Bob Dylan, Queen, Billy Joel, some good music. Eagles. So we, I said, well, let's listen to your playlist while we're riding down the road. We got this beautiful day ahead of us. And I put in, and the first song that come on was Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. And, and Bob Dylan was saying, how does it feel? And I was, my mind was going back to riding to another state, screaming at God, if this is who you are, I don't want anything to do with you. All the way to this moment. When it, when it was almost, you could Feel the presence that God was right there with us, waiting to be born. Waiting to be born. For those of you that want to grow up, I've got a tip. The other, uh, the other week, I had to go get, um, had to go get my car inspected. So, growing up, people, how many? How many, of you, uh, how many of you know if you want to grow up too fast? How do you know that? If somebody asks you your birthday and you tell them what you're going to be, that means you want to grow up. All right? If it's eight months, you're going to be 13, you're wanting to grow up a little bit too fast. Okay? Just so you know. Um, so if you describe your age with what you're going to be, that's probably it. So if you really want to grow up early, here's what you need to do. Go with your parents to get the car inspected and get your registration uh, uh, renewed for the new year for your vehicle because there's nothing, like, there's nothing that says adult like doing that, okay? And, and what will happen is, is you'll change. You won't be talking about eight months or 13. You'll say, you know what? I was just 11 just a couple weeks ago. You know, I, I'm just a kid. I'm good. So I go, to, uh, I go to get my car inspected, and guess what? End of the month. End of the month fell on a weekend, so that means I had to wait till Monday, which means I'm going to have to pay a fee because I'm late. So frustrating. And I forgot to even do it on the Monday. My wife called me. She said, hey, uh, you know, you need to get the car inspected. And, of course, I wait till the last minute. Back in the day, we used to get 15 extra days. Well, they botched that. So here I am. I am trying to get the car inspected on a, on a Monday midday, got to go to the mechanic shop, get the inspection, go do the renew thing. And so here I am, I'm doing this, and I already know. It's cold outside, which is, which is what my wife used for me. Well, it's cold outside. You're not going to do anything anyway. You don't like cold weather, so why don't you go get the car? And so anyway, she was out, so I, I did the right thing. I should have already done it. But today was a good reason that I didn't. So here I am in the waiting room at the Get Your Car Inspected place. And so I walk in, I'm listening to a podcast or something like that. You know, I walk in, mad it's cold, mad my stuff's going to be late, mad I got to pay a fee. 
When I walk in, the place I always go to, my buddy Richard, who owns the place, I walk in and I look and I notice uh, a new lady, new young lady, 20-year-old Kendra, is now behind the counter kind of taking all of our stuff as we come in. And I see her, ask her about the, can you do the inspection? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit. Yeah, I know. So I have to wait. And so I go sit in the wait, in my little waiting area chair like this, uncomfortable. Um, so I'm sitting here. There was an older lady to the right when I came in. Her name's Mary, I would find out later. And so I'm sitting there, and they had been talking. And so they started talking again. And as they're talking, I'm just sitting there listening to whatever I'm listening to. And, and I notice one kind of glances at me and shakes her head and nods. It's like they're trying to keep me included in the conversation. They have no clue. I can't hear a dang word they're saying. I've got earbuds in, toboggan on. I can't hear it. So then I go, okay, now I'm going to seem like a rude jerk. So I pause it. And when I pause it, what I hear Kendra say. Yeah, I've been going to therapy for a while now. And it's really helped me. When she said therapy, my wife is a huge advocate for this type of stuff. I was like, hey, I want to listen to what's going on. And then Mary, the older lady in her 60s, begins to start talking about how bad the mental health issue is in our county and how high the suicide rate is and begins to talk about the addiction problems with drugs in our area. And she's rattling off statistics left and right, left and right. And she goes, and that's why I started it. And, and, the, and she goes, well, where is it at? She goes, it's just up the street, you know, where they had to cut the tree down. And, 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 I, and, I, and I asked her, so well, what did you start? She goes, well, I started this facility that's going to help people who are dealing with mental health. Um, and, and I talked to the First Baptist Church over here, and, they, and they've got a psychiatrist. They're going to let them come in, and, and, and then they can make prescriptions. And then Green Street uh, Methodist Church, they're going to pay for their prescription. And I'm like, man, she's in this. And so I tell her, I said, well, this is really cool. I said, my wife's going to want to know about this because she, she eats this stuff up. And she reaches in her purse and she hands me this little brochure and hands it to me. And I'm looking through it. And, of course, I'm wondering, why is a woman that should be retired so animated and excited about this? And I flip over in the back and I see this picture of a 20-year-old kid. And I look at her and I said, is that your son? And she said, yeah. Yeah, we lost him two years ago to mental illness. Then the light clicked. I said, oh, no. And she goes, yeah, and then six months later, my husband died because he grieved himself to death. And I'm going, okay, this, this, this is a really big deal. I'm not just staring into a, the face of a woman who's getting her stuff done at the, at the inspection place. I'm looking in the face of a deeply alone woman who has faced stuff I've never seen. And Kendra starts talking about how she wants to come and help, and she wants to go up there, and she can bake stuff. And, and, and I'm watching these two ladies go back and forth, and I'm asking questions, and I am just blown away that this woman took her own money, buys a piece of property, starts arranging to try to help people because she said this. She said, you know, I can't bring my son back, but I can help every other parent who has to deal with this because I don't want them to deal with this. Somebody walks in, hands Kendra some keys, and she walks over to Mary. And she says, hey, Mary, here's your keys. She goes, uh, oh, and your bill's been taken care of. 
And Mary says, no, 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 you, you can't. She goes, well, what do you mean it's been taken care of? And, and, and finally, Kendra says, well, I paid it. And 20-year-old little Kendra paid for Mary's auto work that day. And Mary began to protest. Kendra said, no, all I want is a hug. And in that moment, sitting in a waiting room, trying to get my car inspected, I watched a very young woman who was alone and a very old woman who was desperately alone find out that we're all mothers of God and he's just waiting to be born in our midst. And in that moment, I saw what God with us means. What if it's both? What, what, if, what if you need to find the Mary and hug? And what if the Mary needs to find you and hug you? What if it's that simple that presence, that presence sometimes upstages the answers? What, what, if, what if you can have both alone and God with us at the same moment and know what that feels like? There was a writer who was writing about Jacob in this experience on the rock. And here's what he said. He said, Jacob said this. He was making up verbiage for Jacob and just doing it for him. And he said, he said, can you imagine if Jacob the next day was thinking, if God was in that place yesterday and I didn't realize it, where else could he have been in my life and I didn't realize it? God with us is not something you pursue. It's something that is right here with you. Oh, and, 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 and Matthew, Matthew, when he finished his stories about Jesus and the, and the Emmanuel, the God with us, check how he ended it. This is, this is a phrase from Jesus. He's leaving his disciples. He's leaving his followers. But before he leaves them, he says, I want, I want you to make sure that you understand something. I am with you always. So alone and always can coexist together. So may you, may you, my friends, may you feel alone and always at the same time. May you see that God has always been coming after you because you're his goal. May you see the face of Jesus staring at you saying, are you going to leave me too? Because you are the goal. You're the reason I'm here. And I don't want to be anywhere other than with you. May you live to see that. I don't know if it will solve your aloneness. I don't know if it will solve your despair. But may it make a little bit of difference in who you are. Thank you. You are incredible. Thanks for listening. If you would like to get more information on Impact Student Ministry or The Summit Church, visit us online at thesummitchurch.net.